You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Our guest this week is the unsung hero of 1970s musical theater revolutions. When Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim changed the landscape of the musical theater with their ingenious direction and writing, they needed someone just as ingenious to cast their shows. And that is where our guest this week comes in, as she was the original casting director on such groundbreaking projects as Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, and a show called Sweeney Todd, plus Avita, Mary Lee Roll Along, and Into the Woods. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Hal Prince, Stephen Sondheim, and Andrew Lloyd Webber, here is the brilliant casting director, Joanna Merlin. Hello. Hi, Joanna. Thanks and, so much for joining and us. And actor. And, and singer. And teacher. I mean, <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Author. First of, all, first of all, I was not ingenious when I started. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> How did you, did you get started? So was your family supportive of you being an actress? Because that's what you were originally, right? And still, still yes. Oh, yes. Please <laughs> forgive me. Still that's am. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mother was. My father was not. Uh-huh. Okay. He was also not very excited about my coming to New York from L.A., uh-huh. uh, but my mother was wonderfully supportive, and I think if she had another life to live, she would have been an actress, mm-hmm. so that helped. Yeah. But in any event, I knew from the time I was about 11 that that was what I wanted to do. Because of too many Marys? Oh, my Was, was that gosh. something that you Where did, did you when you... Get that? I don't know. I picked it up somewhere. Oh, my God. Is that where you caught the bug, as it were? Yes, yes. It was a little community theater production, and I won a prize, so I thought, well, this is a good choice. And this is the (laughs) Chicago area? Is that where you were In Chicago, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I left Chicago when I was 15 and went to L.A. With your family? With my family, yes, yes. My whole family. what What did your parents do for a living? My father had a grocery store, and... My mother also worked in the grocery store. They were born in Russia. Um, My mother was a baby when she came, but my father was 17, so he still had a kind of heavy accent. Where was he from? Uh, He was from Belarus. Belarus. Uh Uh, And she she also, she was from a shtetl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so the idea of, of... Actually being in the theater and making a living in the theater was very far away from my father, particularly. 
In any event, um, I went to L.A. and was fortunate enough to study with Michael Chekhov. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who was yeah. Uh, Anton Chekhov's nephew and considered to be Stanislavski's most brilliant student. And it was just serendipity that I happened to meet him and that he took me into his class. Well, that was at UCLA? It was before UCLA. Okay. Well, it was. I was 18, oh, so wow. it was Still just about yeah. the same time. And I studied with him for until he died. What were those uh, classes like? I mean, you are so, well, you know, a sponge for that kind of knowledge, I guess, especially you know, learning to act at such a young Very, age. very inspiring. He was uh, relentless about opening the doors to one's inspiration, mm. one's imagination, uh, uh, physicality. Uh, it was liberating. Yeah. It was very, very different than what was then taught in the training programs, which mm. was the Strasbourg interpretation right. of Stanislavski, yeah. right. which focused on personal... Right, the emotional... Personal, recall, con- is that it? Yeah. personal psychological pain yes. and uh, whatever. And I, I don't mean to undermine his contribution because... Many, many wonderful actors studied with him, but it was a very different approach. And Chekhov said he thought acting should be fun and not torture. Oh, I like that lot. as well. I like <laughs> that as well. Too. <laughs> now, before you went off to UCLA, were you able to see a lot of theater in Chicago? I happened to see the original production of The Glass Menagerie. <gasps> what? Can you please tell us what that was like? Well, I was 10. Okay. <laughs> but still. But I still, you know, I have images yeah. of Laura Taylor and Eddie Dowling and Julie Hayden. They're just images, but I just remember being so taken into that world. Yeah. Um, and the first musical I saw, which was in Chicago, was Finian's Rainbow. And yeah. I still remember some of those lyrics, because you know how the first musical has such oh, a yes. deep impression Indelible. on you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I've seen other productions of it, and somehow it brings it, you know, it all back. The yeah. first That's beautiful. Of course. Um, Did you sing? Were you singing then? I am not a singer. The reason I got into Fiddler on the Roof was, <laughs> was only yeah. because of Jerry Robbins. He just really wanted me in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I tell you that story, or do you know that story? No, no, no we don't know, know this story. It's I'm, actually in my the book I wrote on auditioning. I tell oh, yes, that story. I have yeah. That book. yeah, great book, you guys. In obviously. any event, um, uh, I had met Jerry. Or I, I auditioned for Jerry for Mother Courage, which was the show mm-hmm. he did before Fiddler. Mm-hmm. And he called me in four times. I did not get the part. But when he was about to cast Fiddler, he called me in, and we had a chat. And he said, I really, I can really see you in this show. And I said, yeah, but I'm not a singer. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You don't have to be a singer. Um, so I auditioned for Huddle. He saw me as Huddle for okay. some reason. And... Um, I didn't have a soprano voice. I mean, it was not. I had sung once on stage uh, with Laurence Olivier. Yeah. Oh, wait, in, I can't uh, wait to ask uh, about that. Yeah. In uh, Beckett. That's right, Beckett, ah. 1961. I sang, I played a lute and sang a Welsh folk song, oh. but it was not very demanding vocally. Okay. But I'm sure so, you didn't sing that for the audition of Fiddler. Did, oh, no. What did you sing? Oh, no. Oh, I don't know. It was just some popular ballad. Yeah. Anyway, it was terrible. <laughs> and uh, And they called me back. And they called me back, and they called me back. And uh, somewhere around the fourth audition, he said, well, I want you to work with Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick, and I want you to learn 
Far from the home I love. And I did, and it was terrible. And, you know, he just kept calling me back. The seventh audition, he said, I'd like to come to your singing lesson. I'd like to hear everything that you can sing. So he did. We went to my singing lesson uh, with Carmen Gagliardi at 71st and Broadway. And, of course, (laughs) Carmen Gagliardi was a little nervous, you know, to Jerry Robbins. Jerome Robbins. Yeah. But, uh, and so was I. But anyway, so I sang everything. And one of the songs I sang was Irma La Douce, oh, Irma which La was in a chess voice. You yeah. know, da, 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 da. He said, oh, that's the song I want you to sing for the eighth audition. <laughs> so. The eighth. Boy, <laughs> the when eighth. Jerry wants something, Jerry gets what he wants, I, you know. Jerry Block and Sheldon Harnick stood up and said, she's got a chess voice. She can sing title. <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. And so they wrote that little middle section. Huddle, huddle, for I me. Because you? I had such, such a little <laughs> range. And that's why it's like And that that's range. why it is the way it is. That's, that's why. Incredible. <laughs> that's amazing. Anyway, so. Uh, is it true you're in Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments? Is that Yes. <laughs> Which commandment were you? Yeah. <laughs> I was one of Yvonne de Carlo's dancing sisters. Oh. I was awful. How did no. that come about? And what was it yeah. like being on set with a legendary director like that? Well, first of all, he didn't direct. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. He, uh, Henry Wilcoxon, who was his associate mm-hmm. um, director, did whatever directing there was, mm. minimally. And, um, and DeMille composed these images based on 19th century biblical paintings. Uh-huh. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it nearly killed me because <laughs> I had to dance. We did this one little dance, but we were rehearsing it for three weeks. And I would come home every night and sit in a hot bath in pain because we would dance for eight hours a day. (laughs) It's good to get all that checkoff training because that's just like... (laughs) But anyway, it was quite an experience to be on the set with, you know, 10,000 people. What was auditioning like in in those days? Because I know that you helped kind of transform what auditioning sort of became Mm. with casting directors and, you know, were there casting directors... When you came to New York, for instance. Yes, there were casting directors. Um, and they were private? They were, from... uh, um, not, not as many. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. as many. Uh, frequently, it would be done in the producer's office. There would be somebody who was doing the casting, among other things. But so there was no independent casting director they usually very, worked for? Very few. Okay. Very few. Sometimes for soap operas or uh-huh. industrial films, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. And we would, uh, there were certain days when agents and casting directors would see you, like between two and three on Wednesdays. And so <laughs> we would, I would put my high heels in my bag yep. and be wearing my sneakers and change, you know, and hopefully leave a picture and resume. And maybe if I was lucky, I could say hello. So you're cast in Fiddler on the Roof. How, what is that rehearsal process like? Long. long. <laughs> it's a long process. Very long. And it didn't stop when we went out of town. 
uh, opened in Detroit, you know, Jerry would rehearse every day, and he kept rehearsing until the opening in New York. Wow. Not going to stop. Not going to stop. <laughs> no, no. But, I mean, he was a perfectionist. For those of us who were not able to be in the room to watch him work, what made him such a good director? Well, he understood the world of the play. I mean, I'm just talking about Fiddler because yes, of that course. was the only time I of worked course. with him. He he asked very important and insightful questions of uh, Joe Stein and Sheldon and Jerry in terms of what the show was about. You might have read about this sure, because it's yes. been written that you know that he was not willing to settle for the simple story of Tevye and his daughters. It needed to be much a much larger concept and. Uh, and that's how tradition came about, that yes. great opening number. Um, and so it's interesting that in the revival that's playing on Broadway mm-hmm. right now, that um, Bart Scher has framed it mm-hmm. uh, in a contemporary way yeah. oh. um, because he's connecting it to the migrants. And so that is kind of an extension of what Jerry was trying to say about tradition. Did you have a lot of discussions as a cast about what was going on in Russia at that time? Or was it more... Yes. Yes, we did. And also he took us to um, an Orthodox wedding. Oh. uh, And to experience what that was like. And and he brought in um, books and photographs of the shtetls and... um, uh, we really had a sense of what the life was. And it was very, very moving to me because that's where my family was from. <clears throat> was was your family able to see you? Were your parents able to see yes, you? Yes, yes. Good. They flew here from L.A. and <laughs> they were very excited. It was a great night. Some other legends that are that were in that show with you, if you can just tell us a little bit about what it was like working with them, anything about their rehearsal methods, but uh, Zero Mostel. We'll start with Zero Mostel. You really want me to talk about yes. Zero Mostel? Yes, we do. <laughs> I had a hard time sometimes with Zero. I have enormous admiration for the fact that he was a comic phenomenon. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. He was hilarious. But he was uncontrollable in terms of the shtick. We had this one little moment where we were in Washington before we opened, and my husband came down. So he came down, and um, and we went out for an Italian dinner in between the matinee, the evening performance. And that night, in the in the last scene when we're the the daughters are leaving and we're all parting and I come up to him with the baby in my arms and say goodbye papa it already makes me cry and he whispers in my ear don't eat garlic before you come on the stage and I was just I was so mad after all I was a serious actress (laughs) I studied with Michael Chekhov (laughs) <laughs> no, but it was just, you know, I, I just was so inappropriate, and to, he, he was trying to break me up or something, and it was just the wrong moment. Yeah. And so um, the curtain came down, the curtain went up, we bowed, the curtain came down, and I said, Zero, if you ever do that to me again, I'm going to kill you. Well, he did not like to be spoken to that way, 
And so the curtain went up, the curtain came down, and he started screaming at me in front of the entire company. Nobody knew what was going on. And he said, I'm, you're a Jerry Robbins actress. I'm an ensemble actor. I mean... <laughs> Nothing could have been further from the truth. Uh-huh. <laughs> but in any event, um, it was hard after yeah. that. It was hard. And I, tr- I tried. I mean, we had to work together. Of course. And so, exactly. and of course, you make it work. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't huge, but it really, um, a lot of people objected to the shtick. And even Hal went to him because in a lot of the reviews, they objected to it and said, you know, this is disrespectful. Right. And, um, and he, 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 Threw Hal out of the dressing room. I mean, he just he own, he felt that he owned it. He owned the owned the show, and he thought it would close as soon as he left. And it played for another seven years. Oh, yeah. In any event, um, he was so funny. But he knew that he was using his shtick. And when we did the Actors Fund performance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. for actors, oh, he didn't do any shtick. He just he played it. He played it, and he was wonderful. So he could. The audience would laugh and laugh, and it, that would feed him. Yeah. And he would just go further. Like comedian, but, you know, yeah. he was he was a brilliant comedian. Yeah. But it was just a, a sort of impulse control problem. Yeah, totally. How did you transition, then, from being an actress to a casting director? Well... You know, I didn't actually transition. I continued yeah. when I could. I mean, mm-hmm. I had two little kids. Sure. Um, and um, I said to Hal when he offered me the job, uh, my ki- I had taken off about three and a half years with the exception of going back into the show. I went back in the show be- right. because he needed a replacement. Yeah. And when I went back in the show, my understudy was Bette Midler. Sometimes on off nights, she'd babysit with my daughter. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> in any event, the casting director, for some reason, didn't like Bette. And so when I, when I left, uh, she didn't want her to audition for Hal, because I think she'd probably been cast as the understudy by a stage manager. Sure. And so I called Hal, and I said, listen, I have this wonderful understudy, and I really think you should see her. So... He saw her. She got the part. She played it for four years. That's uh, amazing. I don't know if she played it that long. I knew four she played it. Years. I had no idea. And just recently in the revival, um, they in the Times, they were doing an article about the revival yeah. and they had quoted different people who'd yeah. had some connection with the show. And they quoted Bet and she <laughs> mentioned that I was had made a said a oh. nice thing about me and being oh. a kind person. And so I, uh, I managed to contact her. And so we've been emailing each other. And oh, she said, you opened the path to my career. Totally. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> anyway, she, we're going to get together. And that must have then, I mean, he, Hal must have seen then that you had these casting instincts. Then, well, maybe guess. that was it, you know. I mean, he, he didn't mention that. He just said he wanted somebody who liked actors. And mm-hmm. since I was a Jewish mother and an actress, he figured I might be the right person. <laughs> she knows. She knows. <laughs> Company your first? Company, I did not cast. I didn't come in until the middle or even a little after mm-hmm. the middle. So a lot of the principals had been cast. Mm-hmm. Cannot take credit for Elaine Stritch or, right. you know, Barbara Barry. Or, <laughs> um, but I did cast the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I cast the tour. But I, you know... I literally had no idea what this was going to be like. Mm. And um, I called the woman who had been casting before me, 
and I said, could you, could we have lunch? <laughs> she mm-hmm. said, listen, I left you some pictures and resumes. You'll figure it out. So wow. thank you. I mean, uh, growing without an or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, she was probably busy, yeah. what can I say? You know, what you do is you construct these files, mm-hmm. and when you read the, the script, or this, I'll say what I do, right? Yeah. Uh, so I would read the script, and I would do a kind of a, a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would talk to Hal about the people that I would suggest uh, should come in for it to see uh, whom he knew and liked, mm-hmm. and in that case they would not have to do a preliminary audition. Right. Um, and if they were people he didn't know, then I would do a preliminaries with the musical director. Mm-hmm. And except for, except for company and, oh, I think Follies. I think it was Hal Hastings for the oh, first yeah. two shows. Yeah. Yeah. Then I started working with Paul Gemignani, and we had a a really great relationship. And if an actor would come in whose singing was not exactly perfect for the role, but was really right for the role and a really good actor, I would ask Paul if he would work with him, if he would change the range, or he would do something. And he would do the same for me, so that if he had, you know, a great singer... Who needed a little help, and so I think as a team we were able to really find people who who were able to do both on on some level. Yeah, well, you were also helping create artists too. You weren't just letting them do their thing and let them go, but if you really saw a spark, then you guys helped yeah. develop them too. In a way. Yeah, yeah. I um, it was very exciting because sometimes you know. Actors would be very intimidated oh, of course. by the fact yes. that they were not really legit singers. Yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, for instance, Patricia Elliott in A yeah. Little Night Music, yeah. you know. I mean, a fabulous actress but and wonderful for the Countess, right. but not yeah. really a singer. Right. And so, a little, you know, every day a little death. I mean, uh, she, was, she, could, she could sing that, yeah. you know, and... Um, and I'm sure that they they might have changed the range a little bit for her, mm-hmm. and um, so and Hal had great instincts mm-hmm. as a casting director, uh, and that of course was very helpful because we frequently agreed. That helps. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. When you first read Company, what was your reaction to it? Did you know it was going to be this groundbreaking new musical, or I thought it was so revolutionary, mm. no chorus. Dealing with really substantive questions mm-hmm. about marriage and about being single, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, that it was it was really, I think, uh, a real sea change in well, the musical theater. Talk about some of the challenges of casting Follies. Well, yeah, because yeah, Hal wanted old movie stars. Mm. He really felt that that was the right way to go. And so I was going through, through these lists and lists. And, you know, Yvonne de Carlo actually was my older sister in Ten yeah. Commandments. Yes, <laughs> that's right. You were there. <laughs> One of the most exciting auditions of all was Ethel Chate, who sang Broadway Baby. I mean, you know, she had been, I don't think she'd been working for a long time, yeah. you know. And she was in her probably at least mid to late 70s. I'm oh, not, wow. not quite sure how old she was. Yeah. But when she sang Broadway, baby, I mean, she brought the house down. <laughs> Did you get starstruck seeing these great actors walk into the room? Or 
I was more starstruck with Stephen Sondheim, frankly. Ain't that the <laughs> truth? Ain't yes. that the truth? I mean, I think I, I was always a little shy around Steve, mm-hmm. um, uh, just because you know the, the, his genius was yeah. so amazing. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Can I talk about Pacific Overtures? Let's get you. There. Yes. yes. Is I, it's hard to say which is my favorite show because I really am such a I'm so totally dyed in the wool Sondheim fan yep. now. Too. Hard for Us me to too. watch yeah, a yeah. musical that anybody else wrote. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, Pacific Overtures originally was a non-musical. It was a play by John Weidman, and Hal was directing it, and I was casting it, and the Asians were. Asians and the Caucasians were Caucasians and I had a really hard time because there were very few Asians who had been in the profession you know even with flowered drum song a lot of them were Caucasians anyway so on the final day of auditions Hal called me in the morning and said cancel the auditions it's going to be a musical. Whoa. I said, what? I mean, even originally, a play about Admiral Perry opening Japan yeah. to the world. You know, I mean, I thought, why is he doing this? It's really... <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, and then a musical? So I spent a year, actually, casting it because I had to find 35 Asian men. He, Hal wanted everybody oh, to be Asian, the men, to, the the women to be played by men. Right. They had to sing. They had to dance. They had to act. And a lot of it was, you know, very traditional movements. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was looking everywhere, San Francisco and yeah. L.A. and Chicago and New York. And we finally, finally were able to cast it. And in the meantime, Steve was writing the score. Mm-hmm. And there was one one afternoon that that is just such a vivid image. Um, in his, he has a kind of sunroom in his house, and he called a, some of us, Hal, obviously, and the various people connected with the show in to listen to some of the score. And I remember hearing it for the first time, and and just thinking, this man. This man is such a genius. How did he, you know, the, the it's it's just such an extraordinary score. The combination of, of being they they called it kind of Broadway kabuki. Yes, um, they did. You know, and the combination of Japanese musicians, right. the orchestra, and and then when it was mounted, I mean, they had gotten the fabrics from Japan, and mm-hmm. Boris Aronson designed this unbelievable mm-hmm. set, and the actors were so excited 
to be on Broadway working with Steve and Hal. I mean, these were Asian actors who had many. There were few of them uh, from L.A. that had done television, yeah. Hawaii Five O. Sure, sure, sure. And also, there was a group called East West Players out there yeah. that was headed by Mako, okay. who then became the narrator. Oh wow! And but many of them were like nightclub performers, or comics, you know, half Asian, right. Filipino. I mean, you know, we, we had a kind of a, an, a broad umbrella yeah. uh, over the word Asian, but they were basically all Asian. There was one that I think lied to me, said his, his grandmother was Asian. <laughs> However, it was, I was, he was the last person to cast, so I just closed my eyes. <laughs> just looked the other way. Anyway, yeah. that was kind of, I mean, we're talking about Steve's genius, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing is that in every one of his plays, there's a completely different world. His insight into each one of those is so is so deep. It's and incredible. It is incredible. It is. He used to ride his bike to the auditions, and I used to be, I was so scared that he would get hit by a car. <laughs> ride his bike all over New York. That's the Jewish mother instinct. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, 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 that. It's a lot of that. Um, were you still casting the? touring companies and the road companies of these shows as well or would you just do the original Broadway production and then no I did I did the um, I did the tour of um, into the woods and uh, Pacific Overtures we just took the whole company because the show didn't run very long you yeah know? Unfortunately. And, you know, unfortunately I think that the audiences weren't ready yeah. the, the, the the sophistication the you know that that world. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as commercial as yeah. you know a lot of other shows. Did you have a, a strong attachment to this particular cast? It seems like you. I did. I did because it was such a an event for them, yeah. and they were all hoping that this was like the beginning of a real career. Yeah. And of course, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, uh, they would get cast in commercials and. And, you know, a few of them did, you know, had some work. But in general, it was tough because, you know, the the um, commercial theater, television, and film does not cast a lot of Asians. They still don't. Yes. Unfortunately true. Yeah. It's a yeah. very sub- and they're, the States, a very supportive community. They very much look out for each other. Yeah. They and do. And East West Players is still in Los Angeles. Yes. And they're thriving. Yeah. They're thriving, but yeah. theaters like them are few and far between, yeah. which is unfortunate. Tell us yeah. a little bit about On the 20th Century, which is a fun show. It's a wonderful show. And as a matter of fact, I thought the revival was terrific. Oh, yeah. So did I. I thought yeah. it was I wonderful. You score again. Yes. The comedy again. I she mean, was yes. perfectly cast, yes. I thought. Yes. I thought it was incredibly well yeah. cast. And Peter Gallagher. That was wonderful. Also. But how fun to No wrong in my book. Find <laughs> Kevin Klein and, well, we actually spoke with Judy Kay. She was one of our yeah, first Yeah, Judy Kay was one of our first guests. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Her yeah. Well. I had always heard, I don't know if this is true, that Hal Prince had said that when he was casting Madeline Kahn, he thought he was casting Bernadette Peters. Uh, I I don't know. I I'd never heard that. So you can't I comment just, on it. No, I can't comment <laughs> on it. But but at one point, I mean, uh, Madeline Kahn sort of came with the project. She came with the project I, when I started. And there was at one point a problem with her contract. Uh, it was produced by Bobby Fryer, among others, and. And so they were kind of secretly looking for somebody else. Mm. And one of the people they were 
we were looking at. I'd heard Meryl Streep sang. This was before. Mm-hmm. Before she, she was. Yeah. Yep. And so I had these secret conversations, telephone conversations in the dressing room with her agent. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't have the high. She yeah. didn't, couldn't, right. couldn't go up that high. But anyway, it all worked out. And Madeline was so divine. Well, I tell you this, the Kemp Klein story. Please. It's also in the auditioning book. Yes. Um, I, when I first started casting, I was going to Juilliard a lot because of their first their first class, John Hauser was running mm-hmm. Juilliard, and the first class was Kevin Klein and Patti LuPone and yeah. a lot of other David Ogden Stiers. Anyway, yeah. so I went to see a lot of their productions because I was trying to find young actors, yeah. you know, and um, and so uh, I saw Kevin and Patti perform a lot and then they went off for four years with the acting company tour then they came back and and Kevin did a production of Robert Bridegroom yeah. on and but that was the I think the only musical yeah. that he had done so in any event he I called him in for Bruce Granite for on the 20th century and he did he disobeyed all of the auditioning rules he came in in a full costume. Oh, oh. A white oh. suit, a white overcoat over his shoulders, a fedora, <laughs> and no script. I mean, you never come to an audition without a script because if you forget your lines, you're yeah, yeah. up yeah. the creek. So, anyway, he came in and, and he was doing the scene uh, um, with, with Madeline Kahn, and, and he. The stage manager was this guy with glasses, and he grabbed the stage manager and kissed him right on the lips. Another thing you never do. <laughs> so anyway, he was clearly brilliant, right? And I brought him into Hal, and you know, Hal was blown away. Offered him the part, and his agent didn't think the part was big enough because originally there was no song, and he was under, you know, he was not one of the stars over the title or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. so his agent didn't want him to do it. So I called Kevin into the office. I said, listen, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be working with Hal. Hal has a wonderful gift for recognizing talent, mm-hmm. and I cannot guarantee it, but I bet you're going to get a song, and I bet it's going to be a bigger part, yeah. and you really should not pass this up. So I have to take a little credit. Uh, As well you should. Uh, and he's given yes. me, he has actually given me credit. Of course, he was great. He won a Tony. And I was going to uh, say. Yeah, it worked out pretty well for yeah, he, him. He, he did pretty, pretty good for well. himself. Yeah, um, but, but it was by disobeying all of the rules. But it's the sort of thing, <laughs> you have to be somebody as good as Kevin Klein. To disobey the rules. To disobey the, the rules. That's the rule. That's the lesson here. Yes. Wow. Imogene Coca, oh. one of my favorite actresses. Oh, divine. Divine. Yeah, yeah. She auditioned. You know, oh, she, she auditioned. came in. She came in. She was, and and she really was. She was fabulous. It's it's yeah. I don't. It's hard to see anybody else play that part because she mm-hmm. was so. Oh yeah, you can see. Working and crazy. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, Sweeney Todd. A beast. A different type of beast. Glorious show. <laughs> Glorious show. Well, Lynn and, and Angela were sort of connected to the show right in the beginning, so I didn't have to cast those two parts because yeah, yeah. you couldn't do much better than that. Yeah. Uh, what I do remember is that at the first reading, Steve provided the lunch for everybody, 
and they were meat pies. <laughs> Everybody was a little reluctant to eat. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, no, I was going to ask about Evita. Yeah. To, to Evita, because you had done so many Sondheim shows, of course, with Hal, and then all of a sudden we have a different voice with Andrew Lloyd Webber, slightly, you know, and right. more of a pop-infused score, I would yeah. say. So I wonder if you had to sort of... Uh, expand your files a little bit. With yeah, what's that collaboration like? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, as I said, it was very hard to find women who could, who had that high chest voice. And it was always set up there. I mean, like, you, yeah, that was, because yeah. oh, it had already been done in London. That's right, I guess. So. It had been done, and I went to see it in London. Yeah. And Hal gives a Christmas party every year. Uh-huh. Still does. Yep. I see him every year. It's his <laughs> Christmas party, and Steve. Anyway, um, because Kevin and Patty had been a couple, and so he invited Kevin to the Christmas party. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Klein. And I was I'd known known them just you know known Patty just because yeah. of Juilliard thing and stuff. And so we were having a talk, you know, yeah. and and she was she she had been doing non musicals, yes. you know, the Juilliard and. Um, and I said, oh, do you sing, you know? Or she might have mentioned that she sure. sang or something. And I said, what's your voice like? She said, well, I don't know. It's sort of a, you know, I sing kind of in a in a high, low kind of alto chest kind of thing. And I said, oh, you sing fairly high? She said, yeah, I do. I said, well, how would you like to audition for a veto? <laughs> <laughs> So, Christmas party, amazing. Oh my God! And that audition, the final final day of auditions, it was we had had a blizzard in New York. Yeah. The snow was piled up high, uh-huh. and and everybody was struggling to get there. Yeah. And the theater had no heat; it was freezing. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was there, and Tim Rice was there, and Hal, and everybody else, and we're sitting there drinking hot liquids, you know, trying to warm our hands and our stomachs. And anyway, Patty came in; she flew in from California where she was doing something, and she had three different outfits for the three songs she was singing, oh. right? And, of course, you know, it was just, there was no question. What about Mandy Patinkin? Well, it's another story. <laughs> we love stories. Actually, I mean, the three people that I kind of take a little credit for are Patty and Kevin and Mandy. Um, Mandy was not available to come until the final day, and nobody had heard him sing. And he didn't read music. So they taught him, they taught him High Flying Adored right there yeah. on the stage. <laughs> and he was just kind of reading the notes, and he had heard the music once and he has such an incredible ear and um and tim rice said i've never he'd you know been playing in london for a year yeah the show and he said i've never heard that song sung so well and but mandy mandy was very scared because he'd never done a show like this Mm. never done a musical like this and he used to call it a skit. He wouldn't call it a Broadway show. He'd call it a, this is, this is, it's a skit. It's just a I'm skit. It's skit. Not, you know, whatever. And of course, he was so fantastic in it. And mm. the two of them, Patty and Mandy, formed really mm. close relations. They were bonded. Mm-hmm. And of course, then they did this, the show together yeah. recently. Yeah, um, they do a two-person right. yeah, show. And they That's... talked about it, Vita. And... What excites you in an audition? What excites me is when an actor really is in the moment and lets something happen, and it's not planned. It doesn't feel prepared. Yes. It yeah. may have been prepared, 
But the best thing an actor can do is to do all of the preparation and then walk into the audition and forget about it and just be in that moment and create their own. I mean, sometimes you walk into an audition and the atmosphere is kind of yuck. It's yeah. kind of, yeah. you know, you don't, they don't say hello. They don't, seeing, and it's understandable. I mean, from the other point of view, if you're seeing hundreds of people, you know, you can't be totally gracious to everybody. Mm. Um, and so the actor has to create their own, something I call a performance consciousness, so that they, they are not influenced by what they're projecting is going on, because they don't know. You never know. I mean, uh, sometimes directors, casting directors, producers can fall in love with the audition, but they're not necessarily going to express it because they haven't talked to each other, they haven't made a decision, they don't want the actor to feel, you've got the job, you know. And so there has to be some kind of neutral uh, atmosphere, although sometimes when somebody is really great and it's so clear, you know, they can't control their enthusiasm. Of course. (laughs) What advice would you give an actor who's just graduating college and is just coming to New York for the first time? You know, if there's one thing you would like them to, to know before they start making the rounds? Well, it's hard to make the rounds these days. I mean, you really just have to go to whatever yeah. open auditions you can go. I know that's what you meant, but mm-hmm. um, to kind of suss out where are the, the good off-off Broadway theaters and try to work wherever you can to mm-hmm. get as much experience you can and also to try to create your own theater. I mean, this is something that is happening more and more. People devise their own theater. I mean, you know, it's tough. You have to find a place. You have to find some money. You have to, but but a lot of actors have really started uh, to take this uh, profession mm-hmm. into their own hands because yeah. it's hard to get an agent. Agents can only handle a certain number of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, in, you know, most of them have day jobs. Yeah. Um, and I think they all know it's not easy, but they don't really experience how tough it is until they get here. Yeah. But there, there are more jobs now, you know, because television is so huge. Um, half of their auditions really are on television. Mm-hmm. And those auditions are harder to get because you really have to have representation. Yeah. An agent or... And now managers are, are kind of behaving a little more like agents, and yeah. so... Uh, that's another way of getting representation. But um, it's hard to get seen in something that really shows you off. And so uh, it sometimes takes a long time. My feeling is that if they're really talented and they really work at it, continue to study, continue to to um, uh, watch films and television and, and analyze the, the actors that are really, really good and inhabit the roles, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think it's also important for them to be involved in the world in some way. Yeah. I think that well-rounded. A lot of them have some have free time, and I think volunteering, working with kids, working with with groups that need help, working mm-hmm. with seniors, it is all. I mean, we as actors, we reflect human behavior, right. and the more connections they can make with people outside of the business, real people. Sometimes watching documentaries is a great thing mm-hmm. to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other advice is if there's anything else that you love to do, think about it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> How has the world of casting changed 
since you first started doing it? Well, I haven't done it now for 25 years. No, but, but, but still. But what, what I know is that, is that it's just all online. Yeah. It's, do you like that? Well, fortunately, I don't have to do it because yeah, the technology might intimidate yeah. me. But, um, but it's much more. It's m- much easier, really, yeah. uh, for the casting directors. They can put all of their files online. I mean, I had tons of drawers of oh you know, and mm-hmm. for the now you have you have these um, breakdown services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, when I was casting, I did all the breakdowns. I wrote them out. And I sent them out in envelopes with stamps to the to the to the, oh to the agents. Yeah, I mean, so it's much easier now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and much more efficient. And actors can actually send their photos and resumes online. They don't yeah. have to have a hard copy. Um, I mean, they do need to have them just in case they need them, but. Mostly, it's online, and and uh, so it's it really it's much better for the actors, and it's much better for the casting directors. Yeah. Also, they can do little videos. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Send the real. I mean, they used to have to deliver these these yeah. these DVDs, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. of their reels. Yeah. And I kn- I know that you know in this business it's not about awards, but would you like to see a casting director get a Tony Award, a category for? I certainly would. You know, we we uh, I worked with the Casting Society of America for yeah. a long time, and we were fighting for casting directors to get more recognition because, I mean, as Hal said, it, it's ninety percent of the success of the show yeah. is the yeah. casting. But uh, it's very hard for people to understand the difference between between casting and directing. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, uh, but you know the Casting Society of America has awards, mm-hmm. and um, and the uh, Emmys. I think do the Emmys give out an award for for casting, or am I making that up? I know the Academy Award does not. No, they don't. Which is horrible, yeah. and I don't think the Tony. I don't awards, think the Emmys do, yeah. but sometimes the actors the actors mention the casting director, yeah. which is nice. Should, um, and uh, and these Ardios Awards mm-hmm. that are are really yeah. nice. And, and as a matter of fact, Bernie Telsey just won the Hoyt yeah. Bowers Award, That's which great. is terrific. Yeah. yeah. You've always... Mm- You've always been an actor as well. I feel like sometimes in show business, it likes to pigeonhole people as one or the other. Have you ever had a hard time going from casting director to actor to casting director? You know, that really worried me because I was still acting when I was casting. And so um, what I found was that sometimes I'd be in a reception room with an actor I had auditioned. And I thought, oh, they must hate me for trying to take a job away from them. But what I found was that they felt that I was putting myself on their level Mm -hmm. of someone who was vulnerable enough to try to get a job and be rejected. And go through that process, yeah. And so um, um, it turned out to be okay. I mean, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't acting, you know, a lot, but, but I was still doing television and film and can I ask you about Shelter? Yeah. The musical. This is a musical written by Gretchen, Gretchen Cryer, Cryer and, and, Nancy, uh, and Ford. Nancy Ford uh, in 1984, I want to say. I'm not sure of the date, actually. Yeah, it was early 80s. Um, and directed I, by my, my model, Austin Pendleton. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I love that. him. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about that, this little sort of gem of a forgotten musical, perhaps. Yeah, well, fortunately, I didn't have to sing. (laughs) (laughs) You have a great chess voice. We found that out. Yes, I know. Um, It was, you know, it was was fun. Um, And I think the score was really lovely. But Mm -hmm. I think the book was the problem. Mm -hmm. And it just, it wasn't. It wasn't a good enough book, but the cast was fun. Terry Kaiser, Marsha Rod, and um, Susan Browning. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yes. So it ran about five weeks, and it was just, you know, it was fun to do. I was still, I was still casting yeah. at the time. Um, but uh, it was disappointing. You, you, didn't, uh, you had done almost all sign time shows. You did Into the Woods in 80, 86, 87, but you didn't do Sunday in the Park with George. No, I didn't. I didn't. The only time I worked with James Lapine was uh, Into the Woods. Oh, I, I had left Hal by that time, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and I was doing mostly casting films. Ah, how did that transition come about? Well, that transition came about because of Pacific Overtures, because I knew all the Asian actors, and I was the only one in New York who did. And so Michael Cimino, Michael Cimino hired me to do Year of the Dragon. That's and odd. then, and then Bernardo Bertolucci hired oh. me to do The Last, Last Emperor. Emperor. Yes. So that's how I got into films. And then I cast for Merchant Big Ivory. And, yeah. uh, Big Trouble in Little China, one of my favorite movies. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, no, no we, really? we grew yes, up with it and we love like, it. We, are you, that serious. was like epic for me. When I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, she did Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> But now it make, uh, that makes sense. For, it all started because of Pacific Overture. It did. It did. That you got to know. Right. Right. Wow. And then, uh, very merrily, can you tell mm. us a little bit about that casting process? A beautiful mm. show. One of my favorites. That score isn't that? It's fantastic? amazing. It is. It's Every single one of those songs is so amazing. Well, the, it was Hal's concept that. Um, that they would use since the show goes backwards. That he mm. they would use young people. Mm-hmm who would end up being their own age, but right. who would start, you know, 20 years later. Somehow or another, it just didn't work. And also, I think there's an inherent problem in in the story, because first of all, you you don't like the leading character until yeah. he gets to be young <laughs> yeah. at the second <laughs> act. You know, yeah, so right. and what what's wonderful, what was wonderful was that Lonnie Price, uh, who played... Franklin was a uh, like um, an intern in the office. He was the, he would get the coffee yeah. and he would he would be the assistant. He was a kid and we auditioned him. You mm-hmm. know, I mean that was his first real, as far as I know, his first real really big show. I'm sure it's true. I uh... and he he is he was so wonderful in the show and I love him and and he's such a good director. He's a you know? great. He's directing yeah. Sunset Boulevard in London. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's doing pretty good for himself. Yeah, but and always he's, a, he's so great. Yeah, lovely guy, just so humble and and and, then, and a young unknown named Jason Alexander. Hmm. Found him, huh? <laughs> yes, yes, he was really hilarious and merrily. I mean that that cast. It's Lonnie and Jason Alexander, but also. Uh, Tanya Pinkins, I, I believe, was in yes. it, and Liz Calloway yes. was in it. Yeah, yeah they I were mean... all very young. And, you know, it was really hard kids. because um, we were looking at kids who had no no resumes. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. teenagers sometimes, high school kids. So 
kids heard about it nationally, and they came from all over the country to these open auditions. Mm-hmm. And there was one audition where we had about 1,500 kids. They, would, they came and they slept in the halls overnight, and they, you know, they didn't want to lose their place in lines. Oh they goodness. didn't eat. And one, one girl came in and she threw up. Oh. I mean, it was, they were so excited to be there, but it was really, uh, it was a phenomenon. Uh, and so disappointing yeah. for them. But many of them have gone on to have really wonderful careers. Mm-hmm. And so you, you and mm-hmm. Alan Steve launched some really, really nice things mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Uh, was Into the Woods the last Broadway production you cast? Yes. Tell us a little bit about working with James Lapine in that relationship, because you worked with Hal Prince for so long, and what's it like working with Mr. Lapine? Well, it was great. He's very different than Hal, I mean, but they're both wonderful directors. Right. And, of course, James also is a writer, and that made a difference, because it mm. was his his script and his concept working with Steve and um but again there was a real team between Hal and Steve and James and Steve yeah. and and I think that's what made those shows so wonderful mm-hmm. also is that it was it was they were on the same page true collaboration true collaboration yeah. yeah yeah and I loved working with James I mean he we worked together for about two and a half years what was also exciting is that when Bernadette left, I had just founded the um, non-traditional casting project mm-hmm. uh, about inclusion in the arts. Yeah. And so I brought Felicia Rashad in to replace her. Yes. And so casting. she played the witch. Yeah. And, and that was, it was early in casting uh, actors of color yeah. on Broadway. Yeah. What can the industry do better in terms of that? Because it's, I mean, it still happens today. So what, what do you, what would you like to see happen? What do you think needs to happen? Well, I just think they need to open the doors to more actors of color and actors with disabilities. Mm-hmm. I think Spring Awakening was a major, uh, yeah. it was, you know, a major leap forward yeah. um, in seeing actors, uh, with disabilities. Casting directors are really trying to have directors cast, uh, try to change their, their thinking in terms yeah. of casting. The, one of the problems is that, that if, if, they're, if uh, they're doing an original show, mm-hmm. writers have a certain idea uh, about the casting. And, I mean, if it's an all-white cast... And so they often feel their original production needs to be cast that way, but that other productions following that, they could conceivably see it. But television has done, television and film have done much more Mm -hmm. non-traditional casting than in theater. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason is because um, uh, of the audiences, that there are more white people who go to theater, uh, and there is a large percentage of people with color who watch television and film. And yeah. so they're catering to those audiences. But I think Hamilton is is well, making a huge contribution. Yeah. <laughs> it's really going to change it and say that, hey, you know, it was a, a different way. This past season was a great season for diversity yeah. on Broadway because there's Allegiance, there's Hamilton, oh, yeah. there's Spring Awakening. Yeah. A lot of good Yep. Good things happening. Yeah, there's been progress. So steps They're in really, the right direction. Steps in the right direction. There's still, listen, we're in a ra- we live in a racist country, you know, and, and our arts often reflect that. Yeah. Uh, certainly our, um, 
the biz show business reflects that uh, the not the arts but the, the business yeah and um, and that's tough that's tough but you know I think things since we started the non-traditional casting project which is now Alliance for inclusion in the arts things have really changed not that we were totally responsible but, no, but that we had something it. to you do started with, it, yeah. something to do with it and um, uh, and when we had a, a symposium to demonstrate it James Earl Jones played Big Daddy Mm -hmm. and uh, with a white brick and that kind of had an enormous effect on the people who were watching so it's happening but you know there's still a lot of work to do it was an absolute pleasure getting to speak to you today thank you well it's lovely to go back to that golden period Oh. Hal and Steve and you I mean I'm we're, th- we're throwing you yeah, in there with, with the two of them <laughs> it's a triangle of brilliance <laughs> join us next week when we interview 42nd Street star Leroy Reams hey it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory a program of maestro music Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.